The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above Rise all. up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate world. the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about a hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and there you'll see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left is Bradley's show from the previous day. You can catch that up until 3 p.m. Eastern uh, at which time he'll be live in that little area there. And then on the right side is where we are. Now, I say we're live, and we are live at this moment that we are pre-recording. <laughs> and you guys know I don't get off on that because it messes up everything I say if I tell you that at first. So we are live. This box over on the right side will look a little different than you guys are seeing on the screen. Just click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you've got. 
and then you'll see a Rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Just click on that. You can join us in the chat on Rumble. We are streaming to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're also on Before It's News, top of the page there. DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. We're streaming on Twitter at The Real Tim Brow 2. They wouldn't let me get the N in there for some reason. Somebody already had The Real Tim Brown. <laughs> so Tim, The Real Tim Brow 2. And you can catch us streaming there as well as a couple of my Facebook pages that still remain up to my utter amazement uh, after they pulled our uh nearly three quarters of a million followers off our main page. In any case, that's where you can find us. But if you have a problem on any of those platforms, go to sonsoflibertymedia.com. That's where we're going to be. Okay. That's where you can find the morning show on the right afternoon show on the left. Okay. Right up under the morning show is where you can sign up for our newsletter and uh, you get one of those in the evening. Uh, usually it's usually me, Bradley and our contributors there. And if you want our ministry email, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. You can sign up for that right on the front page. Also, if you'd like to help us stay out there doing what we're doing, um, with the internet, with the radio, and then out among the people, there's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can click on that, make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of Liberty. And that link is there as well. Our store is also available, lots of equipping tools, as well as uh, great conversation starters, many of them that you guys have asked for. And uh, this week we're highlighting one, and I'm sorry my screen didn't bring up the picture for some reason. I don't know what Squarespace does sometimes, but it doesn't bring up the picture. This is one of those that you guys have asked for. It was the Sons of Liberty uh, dog tags, okay? And these come, and they look a lot better than they do in the picture. These were sort of the mock-ups. But uh, high quality metal, it's not like the stuff that the uh, the military has their dog tags made of. This is some good, I don't know if it's steel or what, but it's the same size. So if you want to buy silencers for them for your necklace or whatever, you can do that. But they have Sons of Liberty on one side, 1 John 3.18 on the other. They come in silver and they come in black. And they're normally $8 this week only through Saturday at midnight. You can get 10% off when you use the uh, promo code LOVE. And that ties with 1 John 3.18, that we are to love in deed, not just in words. And so if you want that, 10% off by Saturday at midnight. Um, got to get them, get them while they last, all right? So, and, and we've got, a, we've got quite, a, quite a bit of those. Uh, but today, look, last the, the previous two weeks, we had some very interesting guests on. Ron Gibson, we talked about some presumptions of the, uh, the courts against us that we have to challenge. Uh, then he came on on Monday. That was on Friday. Then he came on on Monday. We talked land patents. That's really his specialty. And so a lot of people were excited about learning that. And I think a lot of people have gotten in touch with Ron. He's probably uh, busier in a one-legged man in, in a butt-kicking t- contest. So, uh, But we also had um, Roger Sales on for two days after uh, talking about the difference between U.S. citizen and U.S. national. And if you guys remember, I told you that in going through this stuff, you need to be careful. You need to know what you're doing. You need to understand it and be able to stand on it yourself, not just say, hey, I filled out a piece of paper. You need to be able to do that. And one of the, when I said that, Roger said, you need to have my friend Brent Winters on. And we referenced uh, Brent's uh, website at that time called the com- or commonlawyer.com, commonlawyer.com. And uh, Roger gave you know some some high reviews of Brent. And so I reached out to Brent, and Brent's joining us this morning, and I want to welcome him to the Sons of Liberty. Good morning, man. How are you? Morning, Tim. This is Brent. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. And uh, let, let me, let's just start here first, and then we'll back up. But I've had some questions 
Um, and other people had some questions since we talked with Roger. You know, you go online and you put on some of these things uh, that you ask, hey, um, what, what's the difference between a citizen and national? And when you go to these sites, most of them are written by lawyers or attorneys, and uh, they're put out there. And they'll say, well, the, the, the national has less rights, and there's a lot of restriction on nationals. It's not on a citizen, and blah, 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 blah. And they do all this stuff. And so I called you up, and I said, well, I see that. And I know nine times out of ten what they're doing is they're trying to keep you in that system where they're making a lot of money off of you. Can you kind of help, before we get in too much of, of the other things we're going to talk about, can you kind of help people understand what the real difference is there? And would you back up what I say that they actually need to know what the difference is to exert their rights uh, rather than just filling out a piece of paper, sending it to the Secretary of State and thinking all is well? Well, I'll just tell you my conclusions. I suppose I based them on a few decades of practicing law in the courts and getting beat up by the evil empire in more ways than you can shake a stick at. You try this, you try that. I suppose it's important to begin at the beginning and say that uh, God governs with words and there isn't nothing he doesn't do that he doesn't make it happen with words. And his people are made, of course, out of his holy imagination. I call it the imagination. He imagined us in his mind, and then he made us. That's called in the image of God. He imagined what we would look like. And one of the things that he included in that is, as he governs with words, he has crowned his creation with mankind, and mankind governs with words also. And because that's so fundamental to human or the existence of Adam's, or Adam's race, the evil one himself started right there when he started in on our grandpa and our grandma. Eve was the weak point. Adam was the willful sinner. He started in with Eve and he started fiddling around with words. And that's our destruction. Words are not some things, words are all things. So let's begin with citizen. Citizen is an unhappy word. I say unhappy, well, in the sense that it's sad that it happened in our Constitution of the United States. Our Constitution is a, an important, good, fundamentally, substantially, I should say, reliable document, but it's not the Bible. And there are things about it that aren't exactly right. One of those things is the use of the word citizen. Our first fathers wouldn't use that word. When the Puritan migration began to New England, they came, they didn't come here to escape England. They came here to clear some room between them and England so they could rule England from New England. That was the idea. And it really happened later, of course. But the word citizen wasn't part of their vocabulary as much as the word freeman. Citizen to them spelled the law of the city because the word citizen is from a Latin root that refers to the civis, the, cit the city. And a citizen in the Babylonian world from the founding of the city of Babylon right on through to Rome was a person who had been initiated into the mystery religion and government and law 
of the holy city, whatever that holy city was. It started out, of course, and organized first under Nimrod at Babylon and his mother, Semiramis, and then Pergamos, and of course, down into Egypt. And in modern times, I mean, from the last couple thousand years or more than that, it's been most prominent that religion, law and government has been most prominent in Rome. And Rome is still promulgating the civil, civil citizen, civil canon laws. And there are only two, two traditions of religion, law, and government in the world, only fundamentally two. There is the law of the land and the law of the city. Our, our law of the land, that's our government, but all the rest of the governments of the world, with the exception of a small handful, are ruled by the canon civil laws of the city. And if you're in that system and you want to be a part of that system and you live in one of those countries, you will enter into the, into the realm of citizenship. And as I say, it's sad that we use that word in our common law. Well, it's crept in, citizen. It's a pagan word, you know, in the old world. And when the Romans got to Britain after Julius Caesar invaded right after well, about the time of Jesus Christ, they stayed almost 500 years. But when they got there, they said, hey, these people here don't want to come into the cities we're building. They had to build cities so they could have the law of the city. There is no law of the city without cities. Isn't it something in China today? They're building cities complete with all of the services that are supposed to people want to have. And they're trying to persuade the country folk to come into the cities. And it's not working. The cities are dormant. But they know they can't control them unless they can pile them up like they did in Genesis chapter 11 at Babylon. Get them to pile up under some false religious notion, in this case communism. And submit yourself to the system and the party. It's not working. Well, they tried that in England, too. This is the story of humanity. They tried it on the island of Britain. They couldn't get the angels, the Saxons, and the Jutes to come and live in the cities. And that's why they eventually lost their grip, whatever little grip they had, and left about 450, 500 AD. They wanted them to be a part of that citizenship idea, become a citizen of Rome, enjoy all the benefits of citizenship. And the Bible says no. It said no to Egypt. And it got people, and God, it, no. Yahuwah, God himself, took his people out of Egypt. Now, I want you to watch something here, if you'll let me keep talking. When God took his people out of Egypt, and this is the prototype of Christianity, the prototype of being born from above, the prototype of doing what the Bible says, and it says, get out from among them. Get out. Get out of Egypt. Get out of Sodom. Right. Lot. You know, you're with me. I'm glad you spoke because I want to make sure I was still here. Yep, yep. You're good. You're good. <laughs> yeah, get out. Now, when God took, took the Israelites, his people, out of Egypt, did he give them any paperwork to do? Nope. They and just then, left. What? They just left. Well, he did. He'd give them instruction to prepare for leaving, but he, he, they just left. That, that's, and they left, by the way, in ranks of five. The Hebrew text makes that clear. It doesn't come out in the... English text so much, but they left in ranks of five armed. That's why the Bible says in the old translations, they came out with a high hand. That's an old English phrase that means they came out belligerently. And uh, they came out armed, uh, no paperwork at that point. 
was there paperwork? And the answer is yes. Engraved at first on stone, it wasn't paper, it was stone. And the 10 fundamental first principles of the, of the land tenancy that they were supposed to enjoy. There was a deed delivered. The book of Deuteronomy is a land deed with all of the fundamentals of a common law deed. We still file in the courthouses today, but it was a very detailed one. It had the covenants of land tenancy. Now, I'm, I'm staying in a, in a hotel room right now. When I, when I signed a little piece of paper, I, I have rights to stay here. These are land rights. I'm staying on, in real estate. But with that were covenants of my tenancy for one night. What were they? I couldn't bring any dogs or cats in here, and I couldn't be smoking tobacco or pot, probably. I had to sign and say I wouldn't do that. Well, that's the way it is with all land deeds. If people want them to be that way, yes, you can have this land, but there are covenants here of land tenancy. And if you break those points, those agreements of land tenancy, then I'm going to throw you off the land because I'm the allodial. You heard that word with Mr. Gibson, no doubt. Allodial landlord. Now, who is the allodial landlord? There's only one allodial landlord, by the way, and he has allodial title. Let's get real. And that's the maker of all things, heaven and earth and all that in them is. And he has a lodial title. And uh, that means he doesn't owe anybody above him nothing. That's what a lodial title means. It's an old Scandinavian word, by the way, a lodial. It means that the owner of the land, it applies to land, not chattels, not movables, immovables, reality, land. And the fellow that has a lodial title doesn't owe anybody anything above him. That's the point of a lodial title. And land patent is a, another idea that comes into that, not to talk about that directly. But God is the allodial landlord, and he entrusted it, entrusted it to sub-trustees, and they got the land. But the paperwork, the proof, the evidences of their title to land was put where? It was put into a place that was so safe, it, it couldn't have been more secure in, in human, among human condition. What was that? Well, it was a box that was, a, we call it the Ark of the Covenant, which means the Ark of the Breath, the Ark of the Trust Settlement. And inside of that box were evidences of, their, of the land ownership. Just like we file a, a deed of land, perfect the title, you file it at the courthouse, put the world on notice, Again, the whole world that the land is entitled and you're the owner. Well, that's what God did when he took the land deed called the book of Deuteronomy. And it went in that safe box that was so safe, God forbid anybody to touch it. They had to carry it with poles, remember? Yep. yep. And the fellow that did touch it, what happened to him? He died. Immediately. And he wasn't a bad guy otherwise. But God doesn't mess around. Yeah, he thought God, he was trying to do a good thing there, and but God said, don't touch it. I don't care if it's a good yeah. thing or not. Yeah, so we God's law is, is real. And the book of Hebrews tells us that you think he was tough back then. He's tougher now that we understand more fully his gospel, his gospel trust settlement and the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apex of written. Again, we're back to writing revelation of the of the evidences, the testimonies of the evangelist. We call them the, the gospel records. But this strong box, by the way, was a Leiden jar. They call it a Leiden jar because the fellow that 
discovered this principle, lived in Leiden, that's in the Netherlands. And what does that mean? Well, that means it was a capacitor. Well, what's a capacitor? That's a fancy word for a battery. What does a battery do? It stores electrical current. And he discovered mm-hmm. if you take a, a, this man in Leiden, not that many centuries ago, discovered if you take a fruit jar, and that's what he had, and he, kind of a fruit jar, glass jar, and he overlaid it inside and out with a material, namely gold foil, could use silver foil, copper foil, anything that will collect static electricity and just let it set. The longer you let it set, the more static electricity it will collect. You take a material like gold, God said, take and cover inside and out, just like the light and jar. The Ark of the Trust Settlement was a, the Ark of the Evidences, it's sometimes called. It was a, a light and jar. It was covered inside and out with a pretty thick layer of gold. And as such, if the laws of nature, if God allowed the laws of nature to, to take their normal course, it was a light and jar. Now, I'm not saying that that's why and how it all worked. I am saying if God allowed the normal courses of nature to be followed, as his death was not a suspension of the laws of nature, it was not God's suspension, which he can do anytime he wants because he's the author of those laws. But certainly, either way, whether it was a suspension of the laws of nature, which is a miracle, or whether it just following the normal courses of nature, it was a light and jar, it was a, capa- a capacitor, a store of electricity, but it was safe. The point I'm making is that writing that God put in that that he'd commanded be put in that was safened in there. Just like you go down to your local courthouse where I'm from in the Wabash Valley, go to the courthouse and all those old courthouses, there's a room in the middle and it's encased with steel, steel doors, steel roof, steel walls, steel floor in case the courthouse gets on fire. We had that happen in Crawford County down on the Wabash River. Courthouse yeah, it's, protected. it's protected. It's protected. protected. Yeah. We do the same thing that... God demanded Israel do, but not only did he put it in that box, which was protecting it, he put it in a place called the Holy of Holies, which is the superlative in the Hebrew tongue, which means unmatchable holiness. It's not the most holy place, not the most holy place. No, no, that is a comparative kind of an idea. This is the holiest. No, we don't even have words. (laughs) It's the Hebrew comparative when it says something of something, Holy of Holies, unmatchably holy, not to be compared with anything else. No person was to enter there unless he was the high priest once a year. And then out, the only way to get in there was the holy place, which not everybody was allowed into either. And then outside of that, there was the court, which only certain Israelites were allowed in. And then around that was a barrier. And then encamped, always in the same places were the militia, of the 12 several tribes of Israel armed with their banners flying. And even when that whole caboodle was moved as they wandered in the wilderness of Sinai, when they picked it up, packed it to move it, there was a certain way to do that, of course, you get killed. That militia of 603,550 men, that was the number that came out of Egypt of the men, the men able-bodied to bear a weapon in battle, they encamped around it according to the standards of their 12 several tribes. That was, they couldn't have been more secure, more safe. That evidence of words, that's how important God's words are to his people. And of course, he says, don't add to them and don't take away from them. Right. Well, we're down to land rights here. We're talking about land rights. And if you want to be, if God puts it in you is the proper way to say it, 
to want. If he wiggles your willer, as Barnhouse used to say, he comes down as it were, and you're not getting the signal, and he reaches inside of your bean, and he, he wiggles the radio in there because the parts aren't connected. All of a sudden, you're getting his signal. You know, we have a show on Patriot Soapbox. What is it? What is it? Not Patriot Soapbox. No, it's in Missouri, Missouri Liberty Radio. And I, that old song that was well-known when I was a kid growing up, uh, turn your radio on. And I remember listen that. To, listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on. Heaven's glory share. Turn the lights down low and listen to the master's radio. Get in touch with God. <laughs> well, that's an analogy, of course. But nobody gets in touch with God unless God wiggles his willer. That's right. His, his will. And so... If you have that and you want to get in touch with God, believe me, he's willing to, willing to do that, but he does it through his word. If you, if you aren't looking at his word, you'll never come to that saving That's right. revelation of yep. Jesus Christ. Well, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I'm talking to you, but it doesn't hurt. We all like to hear it again if we're born from above. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. There are, look, there are, there are people here— um, that uh, we have that just really love it when we get into the work of God in our lives, not only in saving us, but continually to move us. You know, as the scripture says, he works in us both to will, that's that wiggling your willer, like you said uh, before, not only to will, uh, but to do his good pleasure. So he's the one behind everything. That's why we can't even boast about the good works we do after we come to Christ. There, there we have to give all glory to him for that. And remind ourselves, thank you. Well, my favorite quote is, he who never quotes is never quoted. That's my favorite quote. And that phrase, uh, God wiggles the willer. If he doesn't wiggle your willer, you won't will to want to know him. That's right. Well, that that's a quote. That's not mine. Uh, that was Donald Barnhouse used to say that. But I latched hold of it, and I'll give him the credit. But or the biblical, to- or the biblical phrase for that is he regenerates us, or he quickens us, he makes us alive. And if he does that, then yes, we are going to respond to that. Why? Because we've been made alive. We're no longer dead in our sins. He's made us alive in him. Yes. And uh, even those that say they don't believe that, if you listen, I know we're taking a little rabbit trail here, but you've heard that old hymn by uh, John, uh, John or Charles Wesley. And can it be? And uh, of course, they claim that wasn't true. But when you read their hymnologies, it's clear that they believed it was true. Uh, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose, the dungeon flamed with light. Yep. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. But they're making the point that it is the gaze of God that quickens the spirit. That's a, another beautiful way to put it. Um, well, we're talking about citizen. And there's a difference. I, we're talking about paperwork. Was there paperwork? No, not at first. But the paperwork does come. The paperwork does come. But God takes you out of the evil empire with a high hand. What is the evil empire? Ronald Reagan used to call it the empires, plural, of evil. Well, they are the empires under a myriad of different names. The labels are different, but it's all the same filthy, stinking, rotten, dirty stuff, like Dad used to say when we were shoveling that stuff out of the barn. 
we backed a, had one of those ground-driven manure spreaders, and we'd back it up to the barn door, and my brother and I, he'd put us in there with shovels and tell us to scoop it out. And, you know, a, a cow or a horse, well, they'll foul their nest. That's where they'll do it. If you don't, but hogs won't do that, by the way. Hogs will, they, they'll mark out a place out away from their bed to do that kind of stuff and make a waller. But uh, cattle and horses, will, they'll fill the barn where you can't even get, you have to duck your head to get in the door. We'd been there scooping it out. And uh, we noticed the deeper we got in it, into it, the more putrid it became. And uh, that's when I was a boy. And uh, dad said, every time you turn it over, it gets worse. Well, that's the way it is with all the evil empire. You notice that the evil empire, the folk that are, got their bony fingers on the levers of power in government right now, they keep coming up with different names for the same old evil. First, you got the, the COVID, then you got the chicken pox, then you got the what's the, the pig pox and the bird pox. And <laughs> pox is, it's all the same lie, friends, neighbors, and kin. Yep. Yeah, to take it from a guy that spent years in politics. The government never tells you anything that's true. That's not the business of government. Uh, the business of government and the evil empire is to lie. And the, only the lie demands the support of government. If the government's supporting it, it's a lie. I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not trying to, to inculcate moral outrage. I'm just stating the facts of the case. But they change the labels, and every time they turn it over, it gets more putrid. And they do that, of course, to deceive with words. And by the way, to drop a footnote, the proverbial footnote about Genesis chapter 11, what was going on there? Well, the popular speech about it is that God changed the languages. They all spoke the same language, and then now they don't. No, that's not what it's saying, and I can show that. The Hebrew words that are used there, you find those, the, same, the same Hebrew word when it talks about the lips or the speech, or the tongues of men, or it's translated that way, I can show you those same, that same word in the prophets where it clearly den denotes politically correct speech. It clearly denotes politically correct speech. That's the major tool of the evil empire. Get everybody saying the same lie. Oh, yeah, the COVID. Oh, yeah, I know the COVID's real. No, the COVID's not real, friends. You keep, but you, you say it. I met a lady outside of Walmart when all this was going on. I haven't worn a mask yet. I'm not bragging. I'm just stating the fact of the matter. Glory be to God. I'm not joining the commies and the evil empire. But I, outside of a Walmart, when it all started, and there was a lady there a, with a mask, and I said, that mask, I was joking. I said, that mask looks pretty good on you. And she pulled it down and said, well, I don't want to wear it. I didn't really want to wear it. But she said, I didn't want to look stupid, so I put it on. I didn't want to look stupid. But she looked stupid with the mask on. <laughs> <laughs> well, she thought everybody else had a mask on. It's like political speech. Yeah, I want to be like everybody else. So at Babylon, they were putting out the, the mantras of the lies of political speech. And everybody was doing it, get everybody to talk the same. And pretty soon they'll be accepting the same ugly things, whatever you want them to accept. This is axiomatic. This is words. Do not speak their words. No. Speak God's words. But the only way you're going to do that is if you put the word of God in mental sod, the word of God in mental sod. Whatever G-I-G-O, whatever goes in, the seven holes in your head, you got seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Whatever goes in will come out you're watching trash on uh, 
internet, pornography, you're watching trash on the TV, you're watching trash on the news, how much better off would you be friends, neighbors, and kin if you were having an inflow of God's word? Amen. Amen. Then your hands and your feet would do what God would be prone more. Yeah, That's right, Brent. One of the things that uh, stood out to me when I went back and was looking at some history of the United States of America in its early you know, formation and, and such was one of the big things that led to a huge amount of literacy was just families reading the Bible, just reading them, uh, reading their Bibles in the morning and reading them at night. And their children had an incredible literacy rate. I mean, it was, I, I talked about it before, there are rural areas, the literacy rate was higher than, say, London, England. And then the cities were even higher than that. And so, like here in South Carolina, I think it was like 95 or 98% literacy. And that was without a public education system, which was, everybody knows I get onto that with Lincoln and the North and all that, trying to push that on the South. And it, that's sort of a... That's sort of a, a mask, a veneer, to make it look like the people know things, they're smart, and this, that, and the other, when really they're wise in their own eyes. That's kind of what it's making them to be, if they're even going to be that. Uh, many of the people rejected a lot of the stuff they were taught, and they ended up being criminals and everything else. But that, that's a big deal about just bringing the Word of God in, and I encourage people on the weekends, if they, many of our listeners can't find a church that preaches the Word of God. And I'm like, well, get with some people and read it out loud. You know, let it, let it do its thing. I'm with you. John Wycliffe, you know, the fellow, first fellow to translate the whole Bible into English. He didn't do it from the original tongues because he didn't have those manuscripts, but he did it from Jerome's Latin Vulgate. And he said to his 70 students, he is a professor at Oxford, still called, to this day, he's called the flower of Oxford scholarship. And he didn't have a match. But he said to his students, after they got the Bible translated, he said, look, just go out and on the crossroads and the byways and the corners and read the book out loud don't comment on it just read it out loud and do not he said this is key too he said do not seek a martyr's crown he said if you just read this book out loud you'll find a martyr's crown soon enough but don't do anything that's right that's exactly (laughs) right and that is the key and that's why paul says to tim there timothy that uh Timothy, give attention to reading. That's reading right. Reading of what? Yep. The Bible. Yeah, yep. that's where you start. The public reading. But, oh, I'm sorry. See, words are important, Tim. <laughs> Thank you for putting it. We don't want to take away from it or add to it. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, thanks for, for, thanks for kicking that in there at the right time. Well, back to the idea about the paperwork, though. Is paperwork important? Yes. But when God re- rejuvenates... A man, he's born of the spirit and all things are new. He does it without paperwork. He does it and he does it from the inside out. He doesn't do it from the outside in. Most of the, almost all of the influence of the evil empire, the law of the city, the religion, it's a religion, friends. There is no law without religion and there is no religion without law. That's right. That's impossible. We do have this fiction we deal with well here in America called uh, the First Amendment, freedom of religion, and how the, the church versus the state and all that. But that's all a fiction, friends. It's an important fiction that we use in law, but understand there is no division. Governments rest on law. 
what is law? What is religion? Let's, let's just drop this in here. I'm dropping a lot of footnotes. Religion, well, again, words. Just, just look at the word. Re, legare. That's the Latin root of the word. What does re mean? It means back or again. What does legare mean? Well, we get a word ligament from that. It's a Latin word that means to bind, to tie, lig. Yep, we're ligament. binding ourselves to an oath. We're binding ourselves to an oath. That's a good one. Yeah, that's true. Of course, there is an oath involved. But also, using that same preposition, it, it runs well this way. When you bind yourself to that oath, and the Lord's Supper is an oath, by the way, as so is baptism. It's a ceremonial oath, a verbal act, as our common law puts it. Right. But when you bind yourself to that oath, you're binding back. Binding back. Re means back. Or again, you're binding back. We love him, says the book, because he first loved us. You see, we are not the ones that, that cross the line first. He crosses the line, and then re our religion is our response back to him, response back to what he says to us. Everybody has religion. Everybody binds themselves back to a lawgiver that speaks the standards of behavior whether it be yourself or the Pope of Rome, in the law of the city countries, the government, in the law of the city countries, the city law, city canon law countries that are under all of them, under the Code of Justinian in its various forms, and that includes the canon law of the Church of Rome is the Code of Justinian, as Gibbon put it, the Pope of Rome is the ghost of Rome sitting on the grave of the Roman Empire and and rightly adding, you can add wielding the law of Rome, which is the Code of Justinian. The Code of Justinian, again, rules every country in the world except the United States. Different lawgiver, different God, that's what a lawgiver is. Different God, different law. Yep. In America, there's been a critical mass. Tim, I thought I heard, I felt like you were going to say something, are you? No, I was I was saying exactly right. We talked about this on Monday when we had scheduled to have you on, and you and I missed our times a little bit there. But that's exactly what I was saying, and I've said it on the show many times. The title of the show on Monday was, Show Me, show me Your Lawgiver, I'll Show You Who Your God Is. And I've said it on this show. People say, we don't want a theocracy. You guys sound like you're preaching a theocracy. Well, Every government is a theocracy because they write laws. So if they're Islamic, they're going to go to Sharia. If they're Christian, they should be going back to the Bible as to what God laid out as law. If they're a humanist, well, that's going to fluctuate depending on whatever the weather is or however they feel You know, in that particular year. They're going to make their laws up as they go. And so whoever the, whoever the God is, if, if they've made themselves uh, God, then they're going, to make their, they're going to make their laws according to the dictates of their own heart, whatever looks right in their own eyes, that'll be the kind of law they live under because they've made themselves God. But we as believers who profess that there is no king but Jesus, well, then we're going to hold to his law. And his law is contained in his word, just like what you were saying before. And we also talked about briefly, but we could flesh this out a little bit for those that object and say, we don't want a theocracy again. As Tim put it, there is no such thing as government that's not theocracy. It just depends on who the theo is. Theos is the, the Greek New Testament word for lawgiver. We say God. And the reason we say God, it's an unhappy, again, an unhappy happenstance that happened that way. The, the word God is not what that word means. It's a description of who he is. He is the good one, an old Anglo-Dane, Anglo-Saxon description. 
And they did a good job of distinguishing him from everyone else because Jesus Christ said there is none good, but God, that's right. the true lawgiver. Well, that's, so they saw that when they got the Bible and said, well, we'll distinguish this God from veered, veered. We say weird, weird was their God, the Anglos, the old Germanic Scandinavian God. They called him weird, but they said it with a V because they were speakers of more Germanic speech. Our, we speak a Germanic tongue, but it's not, well, it's been softened quite a bit in English. Well, they called it veered, weird. And uh, the evil spells that were given will distinguish the evil spells from the good spell. And so they called euangelion gospel. Well, that's a good, that's a good translation, really. Yes. But God, they said, is the good one. Well, that's a good description, and I'm I like it. I'm just saying that's not what Taos and the New Testament means and Elohim, El, and the singular in the Older Testament. What does it mean? It means lawgiver. He is our lawgiver. What's a lawgiver? He is the final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. That's the most powerful authority and power in all of creation, friends. And if you have, if you, if you attribute that power to anyone else, you are a demon worshiper. That's what, that's the very definition of idolatry, by the way, the very definition. Well, all of the civil law world, the city law world uh, does that. If they don't do it overtly, they do it de facto. For example, all war, all war among men is over this question of who is your lawgiver, not some, all, and that means all wars are religious wars. I mean, if you're going to kill somebody or kill a lot of men and women or kill yourself or not kill yourself, get yourself killed and put yourself up to that risk, that goes to some pretty ultimate concerns of human existence. And indeed it does. But when two people, two nations cannot agree on an external standard whereby to govern their relationship, an external standard, yeah, law from a lawgiver. Those two nations don't have much choice, but either get away from each other at some point, but it's always going to come to, that's not going to work either in this world. There's going to be war. The Japs said at the beginning of World War II, this was their religious conviction, we believe the time has come that all of humanity has to be brought under the nine corners of the pagoda of our religion, Shintoism. And so it wasn't anything to them to bomb Pearl Harbor. And we said, now, whoa, whoa, wait wait a minute. The God we naturally understand over here in America doesn't agree with that. Well, what are you going to do? You can't agree on an external standard. The only choice that's left to get away from each other, and if that doesn't work, and it didn't work in that case, you're going to come to blows, and one side's going to annihilate the other one. Well, now over in in Germany, they had taken on the law of the city, the Code of Justinian, under Bismarck about the year 1900 adopted that code. That code then Japan adopted. They had the same code. Exactly alike, except there was too much Christianity in Germany for the Nazis to say Hitler is God. They didn't say he was God, but they acknowledged that there was no appeal above him, just like the Japs acknowledged of their emperor. They said their emperor was God, and there is no appeal above him. And whatever he tells us, we must do. And if your God out of the Bible is telling you something else, here's the other fascinating thing. This 
question of theocracy. We don't want, and this is what Tim and I talked about, we don't want an ecclesiocracy. We're not looking for church rule. No, no, no. We want a theocracy. They had ecclesiocracy. They enshrined an organization that pushed their religion. That's the law of the city. And that organization is the rule by a single will. And that's what the Vatican does, by the way. Um, uh, you know, you're reminding me of Judges 5.8, where he says, They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Uh, was there a shield or spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? But he, he talks about they chose themselves new gods. And Jesus even referenced the Pharisees, who said that they were of their father Abraham. Uh, they really had a problem with him because he said he was the son of God. And he goes... Doesn't the scripture refer to you guys as as gods? I mean, what's going on there? That it, because you're talking about two different countries here, Japan and the United States. What about now in the United States? We can't even get everybody on the same page in the United States. Well, that no, that's true. Now here's here's the difference, though. Okay, we are. A, I'm glad you brought that up. We are a common law country. We're one of only five in the world, and then the former colonies of those five countries. We are a former colony, of course, and we're one of those former colonies. We are a common law country. Japan and North Korea and all of South America and all of Europe, all the communist bloc nations are not common law countries. What is, how could you express the fundamental difference? One, I just did it one way, let me do it in another. By the way, all, any, any person, any person like the emperor of Japan if you say there is no appeal from him, that is the very crux of idolatry and the very definition of Antichrist. What is Amen. an Antichrist? That's right. The Pope of Rome declares himself to be Antichrist. How does he do that? Well, it's right on his clothes. It says vicar yes. of Christ. Well, what's vicar of Christ? Vicar is the Latin phrase for Antichrist. Vicar means instead of or in place of. And anti in the Greek New Testament, that preposition is used more times, hundreds of times, I suppose. It's used four times to refer to the Antichrist and only in the epistles of John. But it means in place of Christ. An Antichrist is not always somebody who says, hey, I'm against Christ. That's the English use of that preposition we've taken in from the Greek tongue. What does that preposition mean? It means in place of, hey, I'm not against Jesus Christ, says the Pope of Rome. I, I just stand in his place, and he has given me all authority on earth. That's the official doctrine of the church. That is Antichrist. There are many of them. You see them in the Protestant churches, too. You Listen, do. here's yep. another. That thing you said a while ago, uh, uh, show me your lawgiver, and I'll show you your God. I had a professor that used to say, show me the critical mass of the form of government of the religious institutions of a people. The form of government of the religious institutions of a people, and I will show you the government of that people. What is the fundamental government of the, of the religious institutions of the law of the city or any institution? It is the government, government by a single will. Government by a single will. It could be the single will of a man, a woman, an emperor, an empress, a dictator, a party boss like they got in the communist bloc countries. It could be the single will of a bevy of men, like a legislature. A sing but a legislature, when they pass legislation, they express a single command. Government by a single will is the law of the city fundamental. Our common law government is government by so many wills, you couldn't count them. 
That's why we say, what's the difference between an ecclesiocracy and a theocracy? A true theocracy under the creator of all things says, I will work in you individual, and I, you will govern yourself first. And every person in our common law tradition is responsible to do right. No man has a right to do wrong. It is not a defense to any crime that you obey government in the common law country. It is a defense to every crime in every other country of the world that you obeyed the government, friends. Why? Because there is no appeal as a practical matter from the government or the law of the city's countries, countries, a law of city countries. Our separation from Britain, and we are the only common law country in the world. There aren't that many, but we're the only one that exists because of warfare. We went to war to keep our common law. I remember I said every war is for the same reason. Uh, two or more countries cannot agree on a common external standard whereby to govern their relationship. Britain said that our colonies, that, that, that the common law of England, our common law, which comes in two volumes, the common law of England, does not apply in our American plantations. That's a quote from the first volume of William Blackstone's famous commentaries on the laws of England. Now, he's a good man, and those commentaries are great, but he made this point, and that's what they believe. Our common law does not apply in our American plantations. Why did England permit slavery, push it, promote it in the American colonies? And it was never, it has never been lawful in England. The slave trade was lawful, but slavery was never tolerated in England. It came there once in a while through the centuries, but it's never been lawful. That That's, interesting. That's yeah, interesting. But the slave trade, yes. Why? Because they supported their empire with it. That's why. But the common law said parliament, said the king, does not apply in our American colonies. So what happened? Searches and seizures in people's homes and from the ships onto the docks, into the warehouses, looking for contraband in the home, searches and seizures without a warrant, writs of assistance, Fourth Amendment. Well, where the common law is, you have to have a warrant. That's before our Constitution of the United States. Well, Remember, Brent, I, yes, go ahead. Let me, let me interject something here, because when you were saying, you know, in the, in the communist countries, the, the idea, the good thing for them, their, their good thing, if you will, is you did what the state said. And boy, I'll tell you what, if the Convid 1984 hasn't shown us how communistic mindset a lot of Americans have become that to obey mandates, which aren't law, uh, and rules, yeah. and be you know seized, fired, have their stuff taken, whatever the case may be, I don't know what should show us the state that we're in. And you mentioned the, the bosses, the party bosses. Boy, we got them here. We got Donald Trump and we got Joe Biden and all these guys. And, you know, it was John Adams who, who said this. And this always amaz I always bring this up to my friends when they say we have to choose the lesser of two evils. Now, these are professed Christians. And I go, where in your Bible are you told to choose evil at all, even if it's a small amount? But here's what John Adams said. He said, there is nothing which I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties, which is what we are now for the most part each arranged under its leader and concerting measures in opposition to each other. This, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil under our Constitution. And, Brent, I, I you know, I, I get people to see certain things 
about, you don't have to tell them, at least that will listen to the show. Most people that listen to the show will agree the guys who wear the D on their jersey are really bad communist Marxist, Islamist, all these kind of people. That's their mentality of where they're at. But it's, it's trying to convince them that the guys who tell you they're, they're your friends, they're on the right, which the Bible says don't go to the right or the left, right? He, he, tells, he tells Joshua, he says, you adhere to my words, don't go to the right or the left. And that's reiterated several times in Scripture. But then when it comes time to vote, they're ready to select their new master, and that's what they're doing for them and for their neighbors, and they're happy to do it and say, I just had to hold my nose, and I have to vote for the lesser of two evils, and you go, then why are you surprised when those people do evil against you? Why are you surprised? I, I just, I don't get it. Well, in a common law, in our common law country, no, I know it's, uh, it's not sensible, but evil never is. In our common law country, people say, well, who has the final word in our common law country? Who is the lawgiver in our common law country? Oh, it's the maker of all things. But yes, Brent, but how does that play out in government? Here's how it plays out in government. Let me tell you up front who the lawgiver is. With a little g, as Jesus Christ said, quoting the Older Testament, the Psalms, he said, ye, plural, ye, that's plural that's right. for you. Y'all, for you folk down there in the Wausau <laughs> District of Carolina <laughs> and Texas and all those places below the Ohio, y'all are gods with little g. Well, that's the word L. Is it? Does it mean the good ones? No, that's the problem with that word that we don't. That's why I say we need to translate it, not just give a description of God. It means lawgivers. Well, who are the who are the lawgivers from whom, whose decision there is no appeal? And in our common law tradition, it is the 12-man jury. Don't you remember? Don't you remember that Jesus Christ impaneled 12 men? Well, what did he impanel them to do? To witness the evidence of his identity. Yep. yep. And then deliver a verdict individually individually deliver their verdicts and they did and they were honest about it we know they were because 11 of them were murdered says tradition one of them died in chains and assault working in a salt mine on the isle of patmos brent can you hold that thought just for a second because we got to close out the show but we're going to keep you over a little bit if you can stay with us. is that okay Oh, I'm enjoying it. If you I, are. I am enjoying it. I am enjoying it. And I'm sure the, the audience is too. Uh, guys, check out Brent's uh, website, commonlawyer.com. If you like what you're hearing, check him out there, commonlawyer.com. And then um, Bradley will be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, at 6 a.m. Don't miss us, all right, wherever the place is that you tune in. Happy to have you guys. And we're going to keep Brent on. So if you're enjoying this, and I really am, I hope you're learning some things too. We're going to continue that over here. So Red State Talk Radio, guys, catch us on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. All right, I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And Brent, I didn't mean to cut you off, but our time was just expired there. And we went through, this hour has gone really fast. And it's a fascinating uh, talk that you're giving here. So go ahead and pick up where you were, if you remember where your thought was there. Now we're talking about who, as a practical matter, down here on land, who is the lawgiver down here on land? And God has delegated to mankind to impanel juries. And we see that, of course, Jesus Christ did that to witness. That's what juries do is witness evidence. And he impaneled 12 men to witness evidence of his, of his uh, identity. But then beyond that, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 
Paul tells the credit Corinthians, or as Stedman used to say of those books, first and second Californians, he told, he told them to impanel juries to judge matters of property between you. Uh, the advantages of the jury are beyond what we can imagine. I've lined up so many advantages, things that aren't mentioned. If we just simply would do what God says. But the jury is the final arbiter. Even our Constitution of the United States, which is a brief, by the way, of common law government, that's, it's nothing new. It wasn't invented. America, after that war, just began with their, with, they didn't begin, well, they began their new country just keeping everything in place, and they just kept going. What did they have? They had common law country, but England was trying to deny, to deny them of that. That's why they went to war. They could not agree on a common external standard whereby to govern their relationship. Admiralty law is one of the four species, one of the four labels that are well known uh, in America uh, for uh, the law of the city. Uh, by the way, there's a proper use of admiralty law. There's a proper, proper use of martial law, armies on fields of battle, admiralty law, ships on the high seas, and then there's administrative law, which is unlawful. Admiralty law and martial law are lawful, given the right jurisdiction. By the way, by the way, the book of Numbers in the Bible is the book about martial law. And martial law, God applies it to two areas, two endeavors of human activity. Number one, the militia of the several states. That's why it's called the book of Numbers, because the militia was numbered, and numbers are important in a martial law, a military kind of a situation, and that's what the law of the city is. As a matter of fact, the law of the city arose naturally after the founding of the city of Rome through those 300 families that were there, about 300 families, arose out of the law of the militia of those families. And of course, they banded together to protect themselves, and that's a good law as long as it's in a martial context, but when it's transferred then to control me, out here, I'm not a part of the military context. I'm in a common law world. That's a misuse, and that is tyranny. If you've ever been in the military, some of you have, you'll find out that, that you don't have a lot of choice about a lot of things, clothes you wear, where you go, what you do, how you talk. There are just certain things you can't do, and you'll suffer for it. They may even shoot you. It gets real serious, especially in, in wartime. Well, we don't want that. We want to confine martial law to the U.S. Navy and ships at sea. And by the way, the martial law applies where disobedience to orders, where it's not, if it's not quick and sure, everything could be lost. And in the book of Numbers, that applied to the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, and the militia of the 12 tribes of Israel. But we in America, even our Constitution, Amendment 7, watch this. It says that no fact tried by a jury, shall be questioned in any other place. Well, what does that mean? That means it's unappealable. That's what it means. That means the jury is the final decider of the facts of the case. That means little G, little lawgivers, no appeal. That's, our, that's the doctrine of our common law, by the way. We call our trial courts finders of fact. Why? Because you can't appeal that. And there are exceptions, except as the Seventh Amendment says, except according to the course of the common law. If the common law was not the, the course, our common law is process, not substance. It's how, it stresses how we do things, not what we do. 
you know, thou shalt not steal, that's substance. God has that jurisdiction to declare right. the end result. The outcome, the outcome is always God's jurisdiction. That's why he says to the judges who are, who are jurors, he says, be not afraid of the face of any man. Just follow the course of process, the idea. But need not be, need, be not afraid because the judgment, the outcome is mine. If you just follow the process, go to Matthew 18, Jesus Christ said, and just follow this process. Yep, yep. The judgment is mine. That's right. You don't have to be afraid. Well, I'll take a breather. Uh, by the way, I want to say, Tim, I do a show, too, or several, actually. And uh, I understand uh, the jurisdiction here. The jurisdiction here is you. You're allowing me to talk. But, of course, you hold jurisdiction over the, the show and the microphones, and I'm a guest. So, And you've done that if you want to pipe in. You let me talk, though, as you... No, Tim, I'll talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and I, well, I I like to have people on, as as I tell the audience, either there's somebody out there doing the stuff, as we say, they're they're actually doing things that are are commendable and they're good examples of people, or I bring somebody on that I want to learn something from, and I've I've got you on, I want to learn, so I'm keeping my mouth shut unless I have a question. But, But take, for instance, what you're saying there, as far as what's going on in the court and, uh, and, and, and things like that, because what you were just saying, I was thinking of, you know, the Alex Jones case that went on. And I remember that, that judge come up and said, well, you can't say this and you can't say that and you can't say the other and you can't say this. And I'm just sitting here going, what? And the things that some of the things she was saying that he couldn't say were legitimate things. I, if you're defending yourself, why can you not defend yourself? Why is there a limitation? Is that a judge, a judge, uh, being a law, a little God unto herself? Is that what's going on there? Oh, no question. Due process is not some things. Due process is our common law. Just another name for due process. Law of the land lifted from Magna Carta, Lex Terra, means due process. That was their phrase. And down through the centuries, we've had different phrases. Phrases, but what we want is a fair fight. This is an adversarial tradition, not like the law of the city, inquisitorial. It's adversarial. We fight. We go. We have trials. They don't have trials in the rest of the world. They just have judges telling people what to do. But let's go back to the fundamental. What was, according to God, the maker of all things, what was our grandpa Adam's chief offense? How did we get into this mess, this dive into the depths of the depravity of human existence, the darkness of it all, the despair? How did we get here? God tells Adam, our grandpa, because this happened because, because you obeyed, you followed your wife. That's it. Does the Bible, I want to say this a while ago, does the Bible give leave? For women to serve on the jury? Did Jesus Christ Mm. entitle women? Was Jesus Christ a sexist? No. He was all about protecting women. Never in the history of our country has there been more abuse of women and children right now that Congress is being taken over by women. The benches are being taken over by women. Whose fault is it? I'll tell you whose fault it is. The men's. It's the the men's fault. Correct. Just like in the Garden of Eden. Man did not fall into depravity when Eve submitted to the snake, the devil, in that form. No, no, the Bible's clear. Adam, man, fell in our race, fell into depravity, when Adam knowingly, she didn't know, she was hornswoggled. She has less discernment, according to what Paul says in the Bible. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's not... 
Go ahead. Well, this <laughs> is this is part of the thing that, that I had brought up before, and some people kind of question me in the chat. They go, well, Tim, are you against women being in these positions? And I, I say, well, wait a minute. First, we learn to self-govern ourselves as men. And then when we have a family, is the woman leading the house or is the man leading the house? Well, if you go to 1 Corinthians 11, what do you see? You see, God establishes the authority. God is there. Christ is there. Man's under Christ. Who's under man? The woman. It doesn't mean she's somehow subservient to him or unequal. It means there's different roles of authority uh, that are there, and the children are under the parents. So you've got those things set up, and then all of a sudden you go to the church— and what does it say in the church? Well, it lists offices of elders and deacons or bishops and deacons, and it, those are men. They're not women. They're, and doesn't mean that women can't minister and take care of people and, and all this other. It just means here's the authority. God has set it up that way. And then what amazes me, Brent, is for Christians when they go out in the civil sphere or they go out into government or something like that, they all of a sudden say, all that stuff we learned in the precepts that God gave us, uh, that doesn't matter. We can have women do this too. And the Bible says, wait a minute, that's a shame to you. Uh, it's a shame to us as men when women and children lead us. It's it's a judgment of God upon us because of just that. And it's in exactly what you're saying. The, the men are to be discerning about those things. And Paul says they're not allowed to teach in the church, the women, because the woman was deceived first, but he doesn't leave them without hope. He says, you are saved through childbearing. And he's talking about that that giving of life, that raising in the home. He talks about in Titus, about the um, uh, the widows. He talks about it in Timothy too. But the, the widows who are younger, they're to remarry and bear children and rule the home and do all these kinds of things. And it, it, we've, we've lost that. We, we've lost that for the sake of, and I was telling uh, my friend David Rezolata, the toxic... Uh, femininity, that's what I want to call it, uh, when they want to talk about toxic masculinity, which they're going against the good stuff. Uh, I talk about the bad stuff, the, the the feminism that's out there that seeks to do exactly what God said, your desire will be for your husband. That's what he told Eve. And that's, you're wanting to, you're wanting to tell him what to do. You want to henpeck him, and yet he's going to rule over you. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the, fundamental, the fundamental struggle of, of humanity is the is this struggle between the male and the female. And the answers are all impacted, freighted right in, right at the very beginning of the Bible. But no, it, it, there's no question the abuse of women children will continue to rise as women continue to leave their roles. And as men, and they're the ones that are responsible, brook it. As men brook it, the madness of sodomy, lesbianism begins, according to Romans chapter 1, when the woman leaves her natural role. And by the way, the word there, the Greek word there of woman means the milk giver. And he's stressing that that's a literal rendition of the word. He's stressing, we're talking women here, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. I'm not talking about effeminates. I'm talking about the women that have mammary glands as opposed to the men. He's making a, a strong distinction. And women sacrifice uh, and the men cause it. Allow it. Women sacrifice their power when they try to act like men and fill the roles of men. And men, of course, sacrifice their power. And as Isaiah says, it's a shame. The judgment, this is the judgment of God on our country when women and children rule over you. And women in those positions make, I don't care how smart they are. I want to add it. I'm going to drop a footnote added here. I'm a man raised five daughters. I've born with 
uh, three great grandmas and great and just grandmas. And of course, I've been married 45 years. Uh, people like to say, I've watched this all my life. I like to say that women are not logical, they're emotional, men are logical. That is wholly untrue. Women are more close in their logic than men. They have a discipline and a propensity to being exacting in their logic that men do not have. Why? Because the woman has a concentration that men do not naturally have. And their logic is good. What's their problem? As Paul said, which Tim mentioned a while ago, they lack discernment of the fundamental fact upon which to base their logic. And this is the whole structure of Romans chapter one. There is no such thing as logic without an, a fact that one accepts without proving it. We call it in our common law courts, we call it, for example, judicial notice. A judge is pouring down rain outside. Look out the window. He'll take judicial notice of that without any further proof. I don't have to present evidence. There are a lot of things like that. But to discern the fact that is is self-proving, as Jefferson or whoever wrote this phrase, actually Locke, much of it. He says in our Declaration of 76, we hold these truths to be self-evident. What does that mean? That means we don't have to prove them. They're so blatantly obvious that we're just going to state them. And then, then he builds all of his logic and reason on that. Uh, the whole book of Romans, which is a logician's book, Paul the Apostle, he was very cerebral in that book. And in that book, he begins his logic, his length of reasoning throughout that book. He begins it with one fact that he says, I don't have to prove. I believe it's in chapter, well, chapter one, verse 17. The wrath of God is continually being revealed against men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. He said, I don't have to prove that. Look around you. People are dying everywhere in the most awful ways. That's just one of the things that happens. This is the wrath of God. I don't have to prove that. What is the difference between the man and the woman? The Bible says that the man has the greater discernment to recognize that, un, that self-proving fact, and the woman does not. And she will, and this is important in the courts, friends, women recognize your powers of logic. And men recognize your weakness in that area. Women recognize your lack of discernment in choosing by discernment the fact that self-proving and men recognize your power. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what I've seen all my life. I've watched, I, I, I delve in to the female of the species. And I ask them what they think, and they will give me, they, my wife, my mother, my mother's still living, they will give me impeccable logic, given the right starting point. Yes. Well, that's the, the I think that's yeah, the, I think that's the case, uh, case Brent, is that is we're, that's why the charge is always to the men when you see it in the Old Testament. The commandments are to the men. Um, the, 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 the instruction is to the men. Why? Cause they're going to be teaching their families. They're going to be teaching their wives. And if they got questions, who are they asking? They aren't asking their wives. They're asking the elders, those who are the teachers. And they come back and they teach that. But I think that's why God has put 
men and women together. This is why he didn't form. Oh, yeah. um, he didn't form a, a a relationship with men and men in a marriage. He didn't form it with women and women because you can see how messed up that gets. I mean, we have enough trouble with men and women, right? But at least if we understand properly our roles and we understand our gifts, uh, as it were, or our abilities to be discerning or logical, whatever the case may be then we, we complement one another. We actually help one another. I think that's why God said he needs a helpmate uh, to come alongside him. We actually are able to help one another instead of this, instead of what sin does to us, which puts us at loggerheads. Oh, how many women <laughs> have I had tell me, Tim, how many women throughout my life I've had tell me that they have the gift of discernment? I have never had a man tell me that. I've had lots of women tell me that. And just the opposite is true. Just the opposite. But that's how foul uh, the, human, the human species is. So without a proper understanding of the roles of men and women, there can be no good government. That's why the Bible starts with that story. And it's all about the kingdom of God, the government of God. You know, even in America, at common law, the women were not allowed by expressions of our common law to serve on juries. Uh, in the state of New York, I remember we saw, a, a uh, we watched a movie at one of my prof's house, a Christian fella, he came to his house and we watched a movie from 1958, I believe it was, Henry Fonda and a whole lot of other famous actors at that time that some of us older folks remember, called 12 Angry Men. Why did it say 12 angry men? And that's a true story of something that happened in the jury room during a, a murder trial in the state of New York. There were no women. Why? Because women were not allowed to serve on the jury in New York till well after 1960. All these things you're seeing are relatively new. And the reason that women didn't serve on juries in a lot of our states, and of course, in the beginning and for uh, decades afterwards, they never did. Because they were not members of the militia. That's why. No woman is a member of the militia. I don't care what the man's law says. The Bible says that is the able-bodied men that are members of the militia, and it is utterly evil to the nth degree that any man would brook or tolerate, much less promote the idea that his wife or his daughter or his mother or whatever other woman would go catch bullets and shrapnel. Amen. Amen. How, how much madness is there in this world that we would do that? How much lack of decency? God said no. Why? Because without the female of the species, who, by the way, is more deadly than the male in her own way, without her, nothing works. The only reason men would be willing to go to war if they're right thinking and any other reason doesn't, doesn't work. The only reason is, is to protect her so she can do what she does Amen. to keep everything going. That's right. This is for hearth and home, friends. And what, if, what, if what is behind a man who's taken up arms as a member of the militia, if what behind him isn't more important than what's in front of him, there's something wrong. That's right. He fights what is in front of him because he's trying to protect what's behind him, his home and his children and his wife, who keeps all that going. That's why the Bible says, ladies, you are the home guard. Yeah, you are. The old translation says, your energy, your energy is in the home, right? Your energy is in the home. Oh, I got in so much trouble. Tim, I tell gals, if you don't know how to shoot a, (laughs) a rod, a firearm, go get a 
a good one and take a good firearm training course because you are the keeper of the home. That old word keeper used to mean <laughs> keep in the noun, fort. You are the protector of the home. Your hubby is out trying to make his way. You got to pay attention to what's going there on there. And whatever comes across the threshold of that house or into the piping of that, of the electronics of your home or into the air, in the air coming into your home, it's your responsibility not to let things of darkness in. You are the homekeeper. That is, there's nothing wrong with you keeping the place clean and orderly and cooking meals and taking care of children. That's good. But above all that, you're the keeper. That means you are the guard. That's your job. What is the man supposed to do? He's supposed to go out the side of the home and meet the enemy if necessary. By the way, all government in our common law tradition, all government arises out of the militia. Who are the militia? The militia are the men able-bodied to carry a weapon in battle and willing or willing to serve on the jury. That's why there were no women on the jury. That's why we have an oath in our common law country. Our constitution requires it. Our constitution is a common law brief of government. Our oath of all government officials by requirement of our law of the land. That's what the constitution calls itself. That means due process. That means the way we do things. Every oath has to be, I swear, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign, that means willingness to take up arms as a member of the militia, and domestic, that means willingness to serve on the jury in defense of the law of the land. Because without no land, there is no law of the land, and without no law of the land, there is no land, and the dual duty of God's view of government among men is to defend the law of the land comes in two volumes. That's the Bible. That's called Revealed Religion, William Blackstone, volume one again. Revealed Religion, the Bible, the law written, Lex Scripta, and the law unwritten. That's the second volume. That's our common law. Foreign and domestic. That's the man's duty. He's not doing his duty. He has abrogated his duty. I was on a public media with an old friend and a fellow was a Marine. He had served on a command, I'm not a Marine, but I have served with him. And I made mention of uh, this, there's something sick about men that would send their wives and daughters to go catch bullets and shrapnel. And he came back and said, well, why should we do all the diet? Talking about men. Because it's our duty. <laughs> I, I, and, I'm, and I just said again, as I said, as I said, there's something sick about men who would send their own wives and daughters and nieces and other men's wives and daughters to catch bullets, bullets and shrapnel for them. Amen. Amen. That's the bottom line. Brent, let me, let me ask you something. Cause you know, I, I work with the guys with tactical civics and you know, they teach some, your civic duties. A lot of the stuff we weren't, we weren't taught. I don't remember being taught any of the stuff that I'm learning there. Uh, and pr primarily they want you to work at a local level in your County and they want to reinstall the grand jury again, where the people have, you know, some control of bringing in evidence and establishing that and petitioning for that grand jury to be brought forth. And then in looking at the evidence and then bringing forth an indictment. And if there's an indictment, what else does our, our Constitution say? Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15. Who are the real law enforcers? Is it the guys in blue, the guys in brown, uh, the feds, any of that? No, it says the militia is. They're the people. And we use the term, the people are the law. You kind of hinted at that with your 12 people on the jury. The people are the law. 
So these guys can write all these things that they call law, which is pretended legislation, which uh, is mentioned in the Declaration of Independence of what was going on in England. They can write all that all they want. But the power is with the people if they would just realize it and stop thinking, I have to obey the state just because the state says so, which it, you, I'm glad you made that point at the first. That is a communist mindset. Oh, And so a, well, if they're free men, they have to push back against that and say, our father sees what's going on, right? Our, our forefathers had that appeal to heaven. Father, you see what they're doing. You see what's going on here. Stand with me. As I stand against them, because your enemies are my enemies, I mean, that's, that's I, I'm kind of invoking David here in some of the things he says. He's saying, judge between me and them. See who's my enemy. See if there's a wicked way in me, but stand with me against my enemies, uh, because my enemies, do I not hate those who hate you? I mean, boy, people don't like to talk like that, do they? No, the Bible is explicit. I'm going to drop a plug here for a little book that I wrote a, few, a number of years ago called The Militia of the Several States, Our Constitution's Answer to Its Enemies, Foreign and Domestic. And there are four militia clauses. Not The last one is the Second Amendment. I break them down and say what they apply to. But I have a long section in there of the militia under the laws of nature's God, which means the Bible. What does God say about the militia? No country in the history of Adam's race has ever had such a distinct law of the militia as we Americans have in our four militia clauses, and they freight all of our common law understanding of the militia into those clauses. But the Bible has a lot to say about it, too. I've mentioned the book of Numbers. The detail that God goes into about how, not what, but how the militia is to operate both in battle and out of battle, before battle. And we have forgotten that. The people. When you see the word people in the Old Testament, the same word you see in the Constitution of the United States, we the people. That word in our Constitution, our forebears, put that in our English tongue because they took it right out of the Bible. The people, even in our English tongue, has always referred to the militia. The third fair, the third fair, the militia going of the Anglo-Saxons and the Germanic races. The third fair, same thing. But coming out of the Bible, the word the people, translated hundreds of times, the people, or my people, is the Hebrew word am. Am always refers to a band of armed men. My people, possessive, ami, the people, ha'am. It's always a band of armed men, and most in most all instances, not all, but most instances in the Older Testament, always refers to the militia, not always, in most instances refers to the militia of the 12 several tribes of Israel, armed men. Now just plug that in when you read the Bible. You get to the New Testament, you have the phrase too in, in the Greek tongue, and it has the same meaning. When it says the people, it's talking about the men. Who in their right mind, being honest, would say that when the Constitution of the United States says we the people, that anybody that lived in the colonies, about 3 million white people there at that time, any of them understood that to mean the women. That the women, the female, the species, would participate in this particular role of government. Nobody. And that persisted up through my lifetime. Women did not serve on juries as a matter of law. Oh, that I can remember that why. time, too. 
And and yeah, I'm a little I'm not long ago. Went up into the nineteen seventies, yeah. some states. Yeah, yeah, I was I'm a little I'm a little younger than you and I can remember those things too. But there's also a thing that kind of snuck in. And a lot of people, even Christian women and men, think this is a great thing. But I remember R.L. Dabney warning against uh women's suffrage. And yeah. people say, Oh, well, they need to vote too, and this, that, and the other. And it's, it's like, well, wait a minute. Do you not trust your husband enough to vote rightly for you? Do you not trust your dad? I mean, he's looking out for your best interest, or he should be. And now it's more of, uh, you know, you're picking whichever one you think sounds best or whichever one you think looks best or whatever the case is, rather than getting down to the nitty gritty. Nobody has to answer with real solutions. They have a two-minute soundbite they can spit out. And nobody has to – they used to have debates. uh, Who was it? Um, Lincoln Douglas – and they would have debates for hours oh, yeah. about things, laying out a solution or their, the logic for what their ideas were. Now, you don't even have to think logic. In fact, you don't have to think at all. You can just say whatever is a good phrase to say to pick up on TV or radio that can be spouted over and over. You know, make America great again. You can just say that, and that's, that makes you superior to the other guy, right? I mean, that's kind of where it is. I'm uh, my mother's 90 and my father's 96 and I'm spending time with them now writing down what they believe. I ask them questions. I cross examine them. They like it's fun. I write it all down. I ask my mother, hey, mom, after all these 90 years, do you believe women should be voting? And she, without hesitation, said, no, I've come to the conclusion they shouldn't. I said, why? She said, it's obvious. They're easily charmed and easily deceived. And I've learned that over the years. She said, that's how uh, Roosevelt got into office. That's how John Kennedy got into office. That's how Bill Clinton got into office. And that's how Obama got into office. Then add to that the cheating that goes on. That's always been there. But she said, no, that's, that's not right. I don't believe they should. I, I didn't, she said, I didn't believe that earlier on. And she said, I've come to that conclusion for that reason. And I, she thinks it's biblical too, but she says all experience teaches us that. I see it as well. And I don't have any illusions. I'm not under any illusions. That I, my, not my point of view, God's point of view. As the Bible presents it clearly, if you want to argue about this, don't argue with Brent. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That's my job. And I Amen. work at it best I can. Amen. And when God shows me clearly, I say, well, there's, this is not ambiguous. There's no doubt about this. This is what it says. Now, if there's some place where it's ambiguous and I'm not sure, I'll say so. I try to. But it's up to you in the final analysis to decide for yourself. But it's my job to say it, not to make you believe it. Don't misunderstand me here, whoever you are. I can make the point and make the arguments, and I do. That's my job. Matter of fact, that's freedom of speech, freedom of petition. That's the grand jury. People say, should we we impanel grand juries and do investigations? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's your job as an American to do that. But you can't make anybody act on it. That's the freedom of speech and the freedom of petition. By the way, the freedom of speech comes in the form of freedom of speech. It comes in the form of freedom of petition, and it comes in the form of freedom to vote. In all of those, you're expressing your will. Or even to assemble. And assemble. Thank you for adding that. Yeah. Because without, yeah, that's all for freedom of speech. And that all comes back to freedom of association. That's now, Brent, I want to. We're going to have to wrap up here. Maybe we can have you back if you'll come back on. I would love to have you back on. Uh, but I want you to take. Um, we're we're going to wrap up here. I want to give you one question here because we talked about the militia. Uh, the people know that this is something that's kind of been on my heart for 
a year or two especially, uh, seeing the need for that. The militia? Do you, yeah, do you think, yeah, seeing the need for it more and more among the men. And what, oh. and what I'm going to ask you is this. What I'm going to ask you is this. I think we've been deceived with the whole National Guard concept. Oh, no question. And no that question. it's been federalized, yeah. and in, and now men like you or I, if we yeah. go and try to put that together, people make us out like, well, you're just want, you're just trying to be a terrorist. You're you're just trying to uh, go and shoot people up. Well, that's not, you know, the 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 battle aspect is is only a small part of that. There's a lot to it, and we're learning well, in this that we become the the people who gather. We do the job of what we what we are alleging. Are the police? We would go get the evidence. We would handle the evidence. We would secure that. We would submit it in to uh, the grand jury. They would be looking at that and all that. And once they give an indictment, we would be those guys who go make the arrest or whatever's got to be done there. We'd be doing that kind of thing. Or if there is an invasion, like we've seen coming across our southern border, that is that is the men. I don't know why they're wanting the national guard to come. Why aren't the Texans? I mean, Texas is supposed to be, you know, big guns and all this other, the big talk, Alamo and all this other. Why aren't those guys gathering together and saying and standing the post and saying, no, you're not coming in here. You're not coming in here. You're coming in the wrong way. You're not coming in this way. What could what words could you speak? Because I, I've done a show. I've done several shows on militia, but one of them deals specifically with Samuel and the men that are supposed to be in there. You know, if you've got a new wife, you're not supposed to be there. You need to go be with her. If you've got, if you planted a new vineyard or something, don't, he doesn't, God doesn't want people or men in that whose minds aren't on the fight. They're on something else. And even if you're no a coward, questions. go back home. So I want to toss that out to you and let you, and let this be our final thing, and then we'll close out the show. Well, the Bible goes into detail, as I'd mentioned, about the things you just mentioned. You're, of course, taking that from the Bible. And the Bible is explicit about who should serve in the militia, explicit about, and that's men, able-bodied to carry a weapon. By the way, 20 years old and upward. The Bible's clear. This is not ambiguous. 20 years old and upward is that 20 years is the age of responsibility that people don't define. They should. The Bible teaches it. So much so that every man, 20 years old and upward, able to bear a weapon in battle that came out of Egypt, Every man except two, God killed them in the wilderness. Exactly 603,548 men, their carcasses fell in the wilderness of Sinai over 40 years. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, and Joshua wasn't even a blood Israelite. Right, that's he right. believed, though. Yep, that's right. He did. <laughs> he trusted in the Yahuwah, the God of Israel, the lawgiver. Well, what's the matter? Why is it that this is, uh, we've forgotten, just a story in his commentaries in the Constitution said his great fear was, that was about 40, 39 years after the ratification of our Constitution, which is the laws of nature, the lex non scripta, the, our jurisdiction, the laws of nature is God's, God's, ours, are the laws of nature, we don't know them. That's why men are not saying these things. If you know them, and to know them takes a constant input, you even forget after you learn. That's why the Bible has to be a daily diet, daily. And if you're not doing it, you're sinning and you're spitting in God's face. It takes a lot of work, friends, discipline. That's why they called those 12 jurors the disciples. That's not a translation again of mathetes. Mathetes means learn, and that's what the jurors do. They learn the, learn the evidence. But in all of that, 
we don't know our job as militiamen. We don't even know what the militia is. There are four militia clauses in our laws of nature. Three of those have been forgotten. Just a story says my great fear is that we will forget not only the reality, not, not only the palladium, that's the sign of our freedom. That's an old fancy word, palladium, the sign of our freedom, but the reality of our freedom because we will forget these militia clauses. Now, that's just a story. Joseph Stories, U.S. Supreme Court Justice, longer serving than any other man, proponent of our common law. He's the one that said that. So what I like to do, since I don't have a lot of time, is just give men a couple of things to do. Men, you are a militiaman. You have two duties. You must know the fundamentals of the law. To defend the law of the land house, could you do it as a member of the jury? And that's one of your two duties of government, the only two legitimate duties of government, of a militiaman, of government, period, under God. Serving on the jury in defense of the law of the land. The law of the land comes in two volumes, the laws of nature, and the laws of nature is God. The laws of nature are common law, lex non scripta, unwritten. The laws of nature is God, written, the Bible. Make it your lifelong, lifelong ambition to learn as much of those as you can. Every man must be a lawyer and know the fundamentals, as it says in Hebrews chapter 5. The fundus, the fundamentals of God's standard starts with the Ten Commandments. All of the revelation of God can be categorized under those ten first principles. That's the number one thing. You got to know it. And by the way, we're teaching. We have a law school. We're teaching. We're teaching right now class on the four boxes of freedom. And you can go to commonlawyer.com and sign up for that class. Then second, get yourself, you got a Bible, I hope. You can, you can read that. Get yourself a military-grade weapon, 500 rounds of ammunition to fit it, and you go take a good, reputable safety and marksmanship course. And there's plenty of guys out here that can teach them. And there's guys locally. I think of Pastor John Weaver down there. Yeah, the we've had John. Earth. In fact, in fact, while you're saying that, I just want to give a plug for that. We had John on the show. And oh. John is an excellent marksman. What is he? He's like in his 80s now. Oh, yeah. And my understanding is he and his wife can draw three separate times and put the bullet in the same whole three times i mean that's how good they are but they open up their home and their land to train people i just want people to know that he's down in georgia and yeah i just wanted to, i just wanted to kind of come alongside you as a second witness yeah. to that guy <laughs> if you can get a, get connected with him if he doesn't teach you because he does teach those courses he'll give you others names of others and, and institutions you can go to to do that that is a must and then you set and you learn the law and you wait till you're called to jury duty or until you're called to, to use a weapon by the governor of your state or as a member of the posse. We have courses we have taught, and they're all available, audio and visual, on the sheriff and the, the power of the county, the posse comitatus, and then also on the militia of the several states. Pastor Weaver told me one time, he said, you know, when I was born, right on my birth certificate, it tells right when I was born what militia district I was born into in Georgia. So there was a time in America, of course, you said he's getting older now, but there was a time in America, but we understood that you're born a militiaman to be one when you get to be 20. It's not something you join. It's something the law, our common law of the land, our constitution of the United States puts upon you as a duty. Back to you, Tim. 
Yeah, and that's uh, now. Let me ask you this, uh, because this kind of ties on there. It is a duty that they have, but it is not a forced thing to join a a military, much like what we see with a draft. I, I mean, maybe I'm missing something here, but I I don't I think that is servitude. That is not free. That is not being a free man. No, I, I get your point. I say this though, for what it's worth, the militia is something that is your duty straight from God. Amen. Yep, it's your duty. And what the word right is an old Anglo-Dane word that means duty. We've hijacked the meaning of that word. It means duty. Duties arise out of law. God is his law. His will, the will of the sovereign, is law. And he expresses his will to us. So a man has that duty. But to be drafted into a military force that is not a militia, that's, that's a volunteer thing. And right, the National Guard was according to the what we call the Dick Act of 1903 or 1, or right along back in there, a congressman named Dick, D-I-C-K. And that is not the militia. When my grandmother was a girl, she told me she was sweet on a fella who was a member of Company B. And that little town where I went to high school, a little tiny place, but they had Company B. And her boyfriend was in Company B. He was a little uh, toe-headed fellow. He was about 18 or 20. I don't know what. Well, he loved dogs. Everybody called him the dog boy. And he got the mange from one of his pet dogs. And his hair started falling out. And he got sick. And so they quarantined him in a little room in the, at the stop sign where the businesses were. They had a little apartment. They quarantined him up in that room because he had the mange. Well, during that time, he didn't get to drill with Company B. That's the militia. That was way back right after the turn of the 1900s. And they got called away. The militia got called away. General Pershing called them away, called them away to the southern southwest border of the United States to hunt down Pancho Villa, hunt down Pancho Villa. And her boyfriend, I need to, well, I can't, I, she's gone. I can't get her to get his name. I never did ask. But he was so upset. He would come to the window, she said, and he, she would talk to him. He was in the second story. He, she'd stand down on the boardwalk and talk to him, but she couldn't see him. And then he didn't get to go with Company B there in Casey, or Casey, Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, to go to chase down Pancho Villa. He never got over it. But no, it wouldn't been that long ago. The Dick Act came along about that time. And that was the beginning of this idea of the National Guard who would swear. Well, there's nothing wrong with swearing allegiance to the Constitution of the United States because every state and federal officeholder, including the low, lowly private, private and seamen and the militiamen, when they're sworn into duty, when they muster, they, the Constitution of the United States, which is a brief of common law government, requires that ancient common law oath to support and defend against enemies foreign and domestic, against the enemies against the land, foreign, and enemies against the law of the land as member of the jury. So the oath doesn't have to be to the federal government. It, has, it is always to the Constitution, no matter whether the office is a state office, and the governor has assembled the militia. There's a dual dual authority to muster the militia. The governor can do it or the president of the United States can do it. And depending upon who does it first, who has jurisdiction. Uh, that's part of our common law tradition, and that's the way, it, the way it works. It's called concurrent jurisdiction. Well, Tim, back to you. You said you wanted to end, and I... 
That's yeah, I, well, you, you said and they can call it up, the president could call it up, or the governor, and that's. That, I thank you for making that point. Uh, one of the things that we see uh, in, <clears throat> excuse me, Article 1 uh, is about the militia, is that we see that they are there for uh, the enforcement of the laws, for putting down insurrections, and for repelling invasions. Uh, now we see them being called in to help out you know, when there's a flood, we see them being called in, Meals on Wheels and other countries and stuff. It's a total disregard for what the law actually is and using those men. And if I don't want to say this in a bad way, but almost sissifying the men. I'm not saying they're sissies. I'm just saying it's using them for things that are not uh, the manly duties that they're supposed to be performing under the law. Am I missing something in that, too? No, you're, I agree with you. It's called uh, effeminization. What is effeminization? What is an effeminate? The Bible speaks to that and puts them in the same category with sodomites, but they are different. They're in a deplorable condition. What is effeminism? Again, go right back to the beginning, and then we can work forward. Right back to the beginning, effeminism is men following their wives, men following women. That's what effeminism is. Is there anything wrong with men talking to their wives, getting their point of view, tapping into that power of logic that women have. They do have it. Oh, I know they're emotional. That's true. They have that. No, but the final discernment lies with the man he must decide. You say, but my wife won't go along with that. Oh, no kidding. Neither would Grandma Eve go along with it. That's why the easier path was for Grandpa Adam to go along with her. And you see what that did. This is a feminism. That's the definition. It doesn't mean you're light in the loafers. Doesn't mean you're limp wristy. You could be. That's not good. That's another sign. But at bottom, it is the man following the woman. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Brent. We appreciate you very much coming on. And if you'll hang on, I'll say goodbye to you after we close out. Guys, uh, if you haven't checked out Brent's site, we've shown it several times here. It's called CommonLawyer.com. CommonLawyer.com. He's got a class beginning on August the 18th. You can sign up for that. Uh, you can also have a button here where you can learn more about it if you if you're interested in taking that course. And then an enroll button you can do as well. And so um, if you're interested in doing that, uh, check out his site, commonlawyer.com. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, at 6 a.m. Guys, I don't know about how many of you learned something here, but I learned quite a bit. Uh, I think I've even been convicted in a couple of spots, which I'm grateful for because that's a place where I'm going to have to do some work on, and I'm glad for that. I thank you for that, Brent. But uh, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And again, we'll be back with you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m. Talk to you then. See ya.